Connect with your potential customers wherever they are. Effective uses Comcast viewership data insights to combine advanced targeting capabilities with premium TV and streaming content so you can deliver the best ad experiences to your audience no matter how they watch. Visit EFFECTV.com. Welcome to the Grit Daily Startup. I'm your host, Sebastian Rusk, and this is a podcast about what goes on behind the scenes at startups. The good, the bad, and the gritty. Let's dive in. This is Karim Narani at Link2, speaking to you from South by Southwest from the Grit Daily House. It's really exciting today that we have Jason Kinsler today, founder and CEO of LifeKey. We're really excited about you having you on the show, Jason. But before we get to you, I've got to cover a little bit about us, if that's okay with Awesome. You. So uh, I'm the CSO of Link2. What we're doing is DPRI. We're using the words DPRI, deprivatization of access or through access to pre-IPO unicorn companies through a financial platform. We, uh, we invest in pre-IPO companies, allow other investors to join us on the journey, of creating and uh, of accessing um, companies that ordinarily you wouldn't have access to. Uh, we've been very fortunate in the last two years, we've brought in over $100 million worth of investments and we continue to grow rapidly. We're hoping that LifeKey becomes one of those companies that we can bring on our platform. But that's enough about me. We're here, Jason Kinsler, I wanna hear your story. I'm going to set the stage a little bit for you because as I was reading a little bit about your background, it was fascinating to me that you were able to take um, standard technology or use technology and um, create a media empire or media into something that people hadn't seen before. So media, PR, public relationships, news. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you were able to identify, utilize technologies in ways that hadn't been used before. Uh, if you would. Sure. You know, uh, thanks, Karim. And thanks for having me. Uh, it's really awesome to be here. The Grit Daily House is really cool. South by, um, you know, 12 years ago, 2009. Um, so maybe 13 years ago, I guess, and doing the math there uh, was my first trip to South by and it was to pitch uh, my startup called Pitch Engine, which was this PR software. And, you know, at the time, I don't even know if I really felt the weight of what it was at that moment, but I knew that I had a, a problem. You know, my background was as a journalist and a news anchor. I was a broadcast person uh, in college and, and right out of college. And then I went into the brand side of thing and became and got into marketing for a, for an outdoor brand and very quickly realized that there was quite a disparity between what a journalist does and what they need and what the resources are and what a brand does and where they put their resources. And here, what, here I was as a journalist, you know, kind of trying to find ideas, trying to tell stories. And, and there was a disconnect between that and what the brand was providing. The brand was issuing press releases that were word docs in emails. And, you know, this was a very different time. Not every brand had a Facebook page. And if they did, they would share a link to their website every couple of days. And if they were extremely savvy, they were blogging. <laughs> you know, it just wasn't, uh, brands didn't have personalities and conversations and all those things. And so it really just led me to say, to look at how can I solve this problem using these new formats? And, you know, uh, as a PR person here, I was 
putting things into a folder, press releases, uh, maybe it was a CD with high res images. If you were really advanced, you'd put it on a USB drive. You know, that's what we were talking about. I remember those days. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and and that was like, Hey, look, everything's on this USB drive. And it's like, okay. Um, but in my personal life, I could get on MySpace. There's a name you haven't heard in a while (laughs) and share 30 photos with my friends at one time, but I couldn't do that as a business. There was not a platform to do that as a brand. And so there was things like FTP sites where you could hand out a password and hopefully somebody could log in. And it was just this clunky time. It was a time period where we went from desktop publishing to social and and being able to share things, but there wasn't a mechanism to share them. So I thought, what if I could build sort of this digital press release? And at the time social media was coming along, there was this theory, this concept, a, a guy named Todd Deferin came up with around a social media press release. And so I started to build this thing and it was like a digital press kit. Just remind us, which year was this? This was 2008. Okay. Not that long ago though. No, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, honestly. Um, But for perspective, there was no Instagram. Twitter was brand new and uh, YouTube was two years old. (laughs) So it was a little while ago in tech terms. Um, But basically it was like, how could I package up my, my info? to share somebody via a link on social. So you had this thing called Twitter. It was only 140 characters. Well, that's not good for business. Businesses weren't really using it. You know, you had these cool stories of how, um, you know, like a cable company would use it for customer support or, you know, had the, you had these pockets of stories. So we built this platform and I said, basically what I did, I started blogging about it. There used to be a site called Ning, N-I-N-G. And it was uh, like, you could build your own social network. And so I started blogging about social media, public relations, journalism, and just blogging and blogging. It was like my, I was moonlighting. I had a day job, but I was doing this at night and I built quite a following. I maybe had, I don't know, 8,000 people. And it was everybody from the head of social media at Ford to the head of social media at Comcast and all these places. And it was, it was kind of, I had a little bit of influence back then when that really wasn't even a thing. (laughs) And um, so I was talking about it. I would talk about it. And then I came up with this idea for pitch engine. Really, it was one of those cliche napkin sketches. I literally sketched it on a napkin to an ad agency who knew how to make websites. We didn't have developers really (laughs) to speak of. And um, so the idea was I want to be able to put videos, images, download high res images, but make them applicable for the web. Um, Put in YouTube videos, but put multiple videos. Back then on YouTube, you just shared one video. There wasn't like channels and aggregation and all this cool, cool stuff going on. Um, so I remember one of the first brands and the way they used it and just gives you a good perspective is Budweiser said, let's put uh, 10 second snippets of our Super Bowl commercials all into this one pitch and we're going to share it with our fans. And that was yours. Yeah, it was on pitch engine and they would share it with their fans the Friday before the Super Bowl and fans would get to a sneak peek of these things behind the scenes of how the Budweiser Clydesdales were, were performing and all that. And they shared it through their social accounts. So all of a sudden they became the publisher. It was the first time that brands became the publisher and pitch engine got to be that conduit. It was a really exciting time. I mean, we skyrocketed. We had 20,000 brands, 20,000 users in the first year. Um, we were a startup. We were in the middle of Wyoming, but we were in all the Silicon Valley <laughs> conversations. Uh, I was at South by pitching in the Microsoft BizSpark accelerator. We were a little bit too B2B for the social scene and a little bit too social for the business scene. We were like in this weird little space and it was a blast. So I, I actually, that, that's a fascinating story. I mean, there were some of the, uh, some of those, uh, MySpace, uh, um, <laughs> USBs and FTP files. I mean, those things are probably long forgotten, 
But before we get to how you were able to look forward and use existing technologies to make something new, and I'm assuming that's the direction maybe that life key is also going in. Uh, but before we go there, I just want to touch a little bit about the, some of the challenges that we have today um, with uh, identity, uh, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of talk now about folks um, who are creators. So as a journalist, as a broadcaster, as a blogger, it, this the, the content that you create is your content. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's used and used well, sometimes it's not used, but you perhaps don't get compensated for it, even though you put time, effort, and energy into it. And so we're seeing a lot of NFTs and smart contracts being created around publications, around blogs, around uh, outputs to um, to authenticate ownership and provide you know consideration for it. Mm-hmm. How do you see that happening today? And, and what are some of the challenges? And um, th- what does the future of that look like? You know, it's it's um, I. I you sort of immerse yourself in a space and then you're out of it and in a different space. And so I, I'm not as close to it as I used to be, but I, but I do sort of sit back and look at it from kind of this 30,000 foot level. And um, I, I think that that was definitely always the solution is how can we give ownership, but also monetize and probably fractionalize the, the um, uh, sort of taking in of this content, whether I'm reading it, watching it, whatever, how do I fractionalize that? And, and I see this world and what excites me about it is this idea that we don't have subscriptions anymore that I'm kind of paying for what I'm reading or watching and I'm paying for five minutes or I'm paying for 20 minutes or whatever. I think that's really interesting to me. I think the, the problem though is, is more about the brand of it all, the branding of it all. And I think that, you know, publications and um, networks and things like that used to be the clout. You know, you, you wanted to write for the New York times. You wanted to write for USA today. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily the case anymore. I mean, our largest, most influential people are podcasters and YouTubers. And I see my kids and, and where they live. And it's a brand, but it's a different kind of brand. It's, it's the beast, you know, <laughs> talking about um, this. You know, it's, it's just a different, um, it's just a very different thing than what I grew up with professionally um, and how we in, in sort of ingested media. You know, we think about it and we have all these bubbles and, you know, maybe we don't get exposed to the other side of the political aisle or the other side of the, you know, the world or different cultures or whatever. And yeah, that's a problem. And that, that is mostly related to the platforms we're on at that time, I think. But when you look at what kids and, and younger people are experiencing and how they experience it, the brand really has no meaning to them. They don't know the difference between CNN and Fox and MSNBC and all these things. They just don't see that. And so I think approaching it is really on an individual basis of like, what is going to move the needle for you and who is your audience and where do they live? If, if, if your audience is people in Wyoming, uh, you're probably not going to reach them on TV. <laughs> you yeah. might reach them at the rodeo. Right. <laughs> so, right, right, right. So what's really amazing about what you said, and I want to just take it on a little bit of a tangent, as we look at education today and how people are learning, I think this is very relevant to it, right? It's like, hey, do I still need to go to university oh. and spend $70,000 or can I just learn this on YouTube? Because this is what's interesting to me and going to make a life-changing experience. Oh, it's so important. I mean, you nailed it, Karim. Like it's, you know, I've got little kids, you know, my oldest is 13. Uh, my youngest is just starting is in kindergarten right now. And, and, uh, it's, it's broken. 
You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's not that it doesn't work. It's just that it's not optimized. And, you know, there's no reason that, uh, you know, I walk around this trade show and go in the convention center and see some of this um, augmented reality and virtual reality. And the fact that I can't sit there and talk to a vet who was actually in the war that could give me firsthand accounts versus kind of reading it third, fourth, fifth, sixth hand yeah. in a book. There's just some huge, hugely powerful things to that. And, and I do think uh, we're going to have to revisit that. Do we need to all be well-rounded educationally? I don't know. Who says like somebody said that when my, when I hear other parents say, you know, your kids shouldn't have too much screen time. I'm like, that's all they're going to use is screens. Yeah. So why? <laughs> like, what does that mean? You know, like, is it just our preconceived notion, preconceived ideas that it's bad to have that because we went outside and did things. I understand it. Believe me, I understand the concerns, but forcing our world onto them, it's a different world and it's going to get different. Yeah. And forcing doesn't ever work. No, obviously. I mean, look at what's happening now. It doesn't ever work. Totally. Um, but, you know, we've got a lot of, we've got a lot of ground already, but I do want to get into life key. First of sure. all, I got to say, I, the, just those two words are beautiful together. They could mean so many different things. Life key. What a wonderful <laughs> name. Help us understand sure. what life key is. Well, uh, to, to understand it, I think just kind of starting with the origin story, I like, obviously, with what we've just talked about, I like to be a little disruptive. I like to look at problems and see different ways that I can solve them. Um, I had a, a, our COO, who's a good friend of mine, uh, he was commuting to work on his, on his bike, road bike every day, 25 miles, two lane highway across Wyoming, not the safest thing ever. I'm like, what do you do if something happens? Oh, I've got this bracelet that has my wife's phone number engraved on it. I started thinking about the problems <laughs> like that. Okay. Well, hopefully she answers the phone to some random number she's never seen before. And what are we really giving people in that scenario? And you know, all, all these things. And so that was all going through my head. And at the same time, I, I live in Wyoming, which believe it or not is an epicenter for blockchain legislation and crypto and all these, all these things, Dow legislation. Wyoming is so progressive. What yes. happened there? Is it in the water or, or <laughs> what are they doing out there? <laughs> it's just our nature. You know, we're, we're pioneers, I think by nature, you know, we, we, we're, we're trailblazers and we're, we're a little bit cowboy as well. Survival instincts. Yeah. And, and I think the bigger thing though, Karim, is that it's a small state with, with um, it's like a startup. If there was a startup as a state, it's Wyoming. And so you see a lot of this sandbox We're we're America's, a playground, but we're also the sandbox. And, uh, and I think that's really powerful. Um, so I was thinking about those things. I was thinking about data and public and private keys and our identity, as you, as you mentioned, and that's all baked into this life key concept of, we all have all this data. We all have all this information that we can't access, you know? And if you start to learn about crypto and wallets and hard wallets and soft wallets and all those things, I'm like, there's just information that we have that's important. And if someone gets hurt, if someone has a, a medical condition, could I tap on it with a smartphone, access that data in an emergency, maybe request permission from my emergency contacts or my, my close friends or whatever. And that was kind of the premise for LifeKey. But once I got into it, um, you know, the biggest thing was like, what kind of technology can I use to solve this problem? Well, everything has batteries. Everything requires charging and that's a hassle. So I didn't want that. So one of the things I, I, I was lucky to have done, I think is start to, you know, look at RFID technology 
And uh, near field communication is a subset of that. And that's what we use to tap to pay. So Apple Pay, we tap our phone on a point of sale system or we tap our credit card in that uh, machine with our chip. That's NFC. But largely it's been used in the financial industry and that's kind of it or a little bit of silly marketing, you know, kind of stuff. Um, But I said, what if, you know, our phones have this superpower and if we could unlock that, here's some things we could do. So when we started down that path, we said, nobody's doing this. If we're going to do it, let's build it as an operating system so that we can kind of power this new ecosystem. And that's what we did. We built tap OS, which is our own operating system that leverages that NFC technology. And so once we started to do that, we started to see all these other capabilities and functionalities uh, for how we could use LifeKey to do that. And so that's where the key comes from in LifeKey is the idea of private and public keys. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a thing that you're going to have, we hope it becomes kind of a ubiquitous thing that untethers you from those electronics and charging and it, it's integrated into what we do. It might be a thing I, I buy from LifeKey and put on, but it might be from a, a, a jacket or a garment from one of my favorite brands and it's already baked into that product. That's where we kind of see the future of those wearables. Right. So uh, embarrassingly, I'm going to pull out my wallet, right? I'm going yep. to pull out my wallet right now and I'm showing you something. Uh, that nobody How's your else back? How's your back, Karim? Yeah. <laughs> look, <laughs> That's a big wallet. Look what I have on my little yellow sticky. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. I have on my sticky a number and a name for my emergency contact. Wow. That's great. <laughs> so I have to worry because I think about it. I think about what happens if something were had to happen to me, right? Yep. My phone may be dead, broken, unpowered. Uh, you don't have a way to access it. Who are you going to get in touch with? Uh, I may be riding my bike or my motorcycle, whatever, but how do people, how do people pay attention to what I'm doing in cases of emergency, right? Yeah. I have a wallet. I know someone's going to take a look at that. And yeah. they, what they're going to find is a yellow sticky paper saying, Hey, call <laughs> this guy uh, in case you find this wallet. But I think you're touching with LifeKey. I mean, that's a very simple use case, probably a very important use case of who I am and how to save me. But I think what you're touching with the words key and life, uh, we're touching now onto identity, sovereign identity, blockchain technology. We're talking about so many things. And what you mentioned, and I don't know if people actually paid attention to it, is if we are connected and you know that our phones are supercomputers, more power in the phone today than... Than, uh, than was needed to take the first space uh, craft to the moon, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's so much content, so much information, so much processing power. And if we look at blockchain, the advent of that, the digital identity, and li- how does now LifeKey play a more specific role mm-hmm. in these aspects, especially when we're getting involved with NFTs and cryptos and digital assets? Yeah, we're, we're, I'm so excited to, to, to sort of jump in, you know, I want to run, not, not, not walk um, because there's so many opportunities. And I think, you know, when you look at a, a serialized unique identifier that is unique to me as a, as a, as a user, let's say, and then I have these devices that are also serve this interesting combination. Everything is very contextual with LifeKey. So it knows what location I'm at when I tap. So it knows who's tapping. Is it my phone? Is it someone else's phone? So all these different functions can happen in a different, you know, sort of time and space. And, and I think as you look at blockchain, as you look at some of these things, there's, it's a, it's an interface. Um, there's, there's 
let, let's say um, we, we, we put um, meat on the blockchain, right? Beef, let's say, and we need to be able to know that that's authentic. And, and it was, here's when it was produced. Here's maybe here's when it was raised and here's the vaccinations this cattle had. And here's all these things through the process. Those are things that we can start to measure and, and have uh, an interface with. And so we look at, we're, we're talking about garments right now where I tap on, tap on a jacket and see where it was made and when it was made and what lot number it was made with and which YKK zipper it was made with and all this stuff. And that goes through all the way. It's a digital birth certificate. And so you could, I, I got to interrupt you there for yeah, a second because yeah. what you're touching now on is supply chain logistics. You're talking about totally. Um, you making sure that the food that you're eating is authenticated and organic. If you want it to be, make sure more importantly, that comes from uh, verified farmers and environments that would be comfortable for you as a health. I mean, you're touching on a lot of things with life care. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- those aren't necessarily uh, verticals that we're in, but they're definitely things we're exploring and we have to build a consumer product first. So the trick is in all this is, you know, fortunately I understand the consumer piece. And so we have to build, you know, we talk about safety and all those things because we're trying to reach people with a product and get them in the ecosystem. And it it is a little bit of a Trojan horse in that respect. And if we say, Hey, ski jacket provider, if you put this in there, there's safety and all this other stuff, but there's also the ability to put this in a store, get rid of the hang tags, all the paper and stuff that's sitting in the, on the garment and let someone come in, tap on the garment at retail, learn about the garment uh, get their care instructions, get where to recycle it or where to send it back or sell it on a secondary market when you're done. Uh, or maybe just buy it with a tap of my smartphone and, and a couple and show a receipt and walk out the door. That's in a, in a store scenario. But when we talk about that, that whole authentication and, and um, <laughs> life cycle of products, absolutely. Those are things that can be explored. And, you know, these technologies like blockchain and all these things, um, I'm fascinated by and I'm super interested, but until it makes sense to my dad, doesn't matter. And, and that's what the, I try to frame things that way or my wife, you know, and I try to frame things that way is like, we, we're all sort of at South by and we're all sort of like-minded and, and up on the learning curve. We're sort of early adopters and it's cool to be cool to those people, but it's hard to be cool to the other people. And that's where I like to live. I like to take that and say, how do we get this? How do we make this useful? And I think people can use crypto at retail, but I don't, obviously I don't think it's going to be done in the Bitcoin way and all that. I almost think it has to be invisible. Let's use the rails of crypto, but let's not make it about crypto because people don't need yes, to know about crypto. Yeah, exactly. They don't need to know about blockchain. And, and that's kind of where I gravitate towards. So I take this consumer thing and people say, well, you should say on it NFC. Well, nobody knows what NFC is. I don't need to teach them about NFC. I just need to show them how LifeKey works. And so I think that's, you know, that's just something we try really hard to stay focused on is the consumer doesn't care what powers it, what it's made by. Maybe the investor does, but, you know, they want to know that you're a crypto company. But really, what are you solving? What's the problem? And, And that's more interesting to me. And that's how we become a unicorn. Well, I'm sure you're exciting a lot of your audience today. Um, if I was to, if I'm going to ask you today is what is the first use case that you see effectively launching LifeKey? Oh, great question. Uh, we obviously have the safety thing. We obviously have this family connection where I can tap and let my wife know I'm going for a run or I landed in Chicago or whatever it is. And it's very tied together with your friends and family. You're kind of close circles. 
But really the biggest thing for us is we're launching payments. Uh, we become a fintech uh, company and I've learned so much in the last two and a half years about uh, how credit cards work and the financial system and PCI compliance and all those things. And I'm really excited that I think that's going to be probably the use case that makes it most applicable to the most amount of people. They'll be able to have a device that they put on their, on their arm. Maybe it's already in their jacket. Um, and there's no batteries. There's no charging. I just tap it when I need to pay for something. I can give one to my kid and put $50 on it through an app and they just tap it and it works. And, and that's available today. We can use LifeKey today. Uh, tap to pay is coming. We're, we're, uh, we're in the process of getting to the pre-order stage, uh, but we expect in the next, it'll definitely be this year, but it'll probably be in Q3, um, the tap to pay functionality. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're, yeah, we're excited to get there. It's a really hard process. Um, this technology, you know, you've seen it in places like Asia and even Europe, but in the U.S. we haven't. It's just been the big players. It's, it's Apple, Google, Samsung, and Garmin. And uh, those are devices that are all similar. They're all smartwatches, but they require batteries and it's kind of heavy. You know, the, yeah. the, the concept is heavy, not the device. Um, but this is going to be integrated. We want it to be invisible. We want it to be something that doesn't feel like you're wearing anything or it's baked into what you're already wearing and it just solves a problem. So the, the other big thing about that identity is, is the choice of what information you want to release and you can control that using LifeKit. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we, we um, go back and forth with that a lot because when we initially set out, we said this has to be the most secure thing ever because everybody's going to ask, you know? And so we made it HIPAA compliant. We did all this tracking and stuff so that people understood. And when I say tracking, it's tracking of who accesses your information when that's the biggest part about HIPAA. Um, these devices don't track. They, they, it's only, it's a passive device. So it only works when it's interfacing with something and it has to touch it. So that is a whole level of intent that it's interesting. So no one can access my information unless they touch it with their smartphone. They can't scan it across the room. There's nobody tracking my location and all this stuff because there's no power to the device. So it kind of puts that back in your hands, which is I think powerful. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's where we're headed. I've got to tell our viewers, I mean, you can't see this, but I'm looking at a, a little fat shirt that uh, Jason has on his hand. It's called oh, yeah. life. It's got, it's beautiful. It's light. It almost doesn't exist, but it, uh, it, what it almost feels like is you can do almost anything with this <laughs> this almost almost non-existent device, uh, which is amazing. So be look be on the lookout for keep those words together. Life key, uh, Jason, Jason at Life Key. Pay attention to those. <laughs> um, one last question is: as we close out this podcast today. What would you like to say to the listeners uh, that are listening to you today? What is the message that you'd like to send them? What would you like them to, uh, how would they like, how would you like them to reach you? And what kind of support uh, would you like from the audience? Oh, wow. Uh, that's, that's a good question. <laughs> I, you know, for me, it's just, um, I think the, the audience here is probably someone that, that that's open-minded and early adopter and, um, you know, we're, we're in this because we, we want to solve some problems for people. We're a small startup in the middle of the smallest state in the union. It's a large footprint, but a small population, 500,000 people. Um, we're not one of the big players that this is a huge data play and all this other stuff. We think we can solve some problems for people. We, we live in a place where we go out and go on adventures by ourselves and 
this helps us, gives us peace of mind to our families and protects us. And at the same time, some big innovation has come from small places. I think the television was invented in Idaho, (laughs) you know, like there's some, there's some interesting things that happen and that's kind of where I want to be. I think that's where, you know, there's, there's still a place for the, for the napkin sketch startup and for the, for the, for the good guys. And uh, just, just think of us that way. That's, that's my uh, legacy. I'd, I'd want to live, uh, leave. And um, you know, I think you're going to see life key. You're, you're going to see it and may, hopefully you'll know, you'll know what it is. And, uh, and you know, we can be the David and Goliath story. <laughs> well, well, Jason's being modest. Uh, that's why I wanted to get into his background <laughs> a little bit. I mean, the ability to use existing technology and create new outcomes the ability to create new technologies, just like what he's doing with LifeKey. This is important. So yeah, Wyoming may be, um, may be small, but they're innovating in a lot of ways. I think they are drinking something in that or breathing <laughs> the air. And, and uh, I think that is transparent with what Jason is building with LifeKey. So pay attention to it, pay attention to what they're doing. And, and however, however you can support, please do. Uh, this is Karim at Link2. Thank you so much, Jason, for, having, uh, for allowing us to have this podcast together today. Thanks, Karim. My pleasure. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Grit Daily Startup. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. This podcast is brought to you by GritDaily.com, the premier startup news hub. More information at GritDaily.com. Once again, I'm your host, Sebastian Rusk. Until next time, friends. Connect with your potential customers wherever they are. Effective uses Comcast viewership data insights to combine advanced targeting capabilities with premium TV and streaming content so you can deliver the best ad experiences to your audience no matter how they watch. Visit EFFECTV.com.